As we continue our time of worship, we'll be reading from the book of Philippians. As we were singing this song, I love that song. It's a great song. I was reflecting on something that I'm going to jump out on a limb and say that Matt's going to be okay with me sharing. So this year, we decided as a leadership team that we would not participate in vacation Bible school, but do this thing called Wacky Wednesday. And I know that some people were disappointed, and I'm really sorry that I got caught up in all the other things that I had planning, and I dropped the ball communicating that very clearly. So I just wanted to tell you that I'm sorry. That's it. I made a mistake. I'm sorry. Thank you. Thank you. All right. <laughs> but one thing I wanted to tell you, I wanted to share with my with you my heart why we chose to go the Wacky Wednesday route. Because I think Matt, man, we just we resonate with this. This last Wednesday we had our final Wacky Wednesday for the summer, and we had families engaging with each other. It was beautiful. It was so amazing for me to see. That's my heart's desire. Yeah, it's great to have these isolated ministries that minister to the needs of, of individual group people, right? Youth and older people and young adults. Don't get me wrong, those are great things. But one thing that I love about our church, I'm going to brag on our church for just a second. We're not just church, we're family. And we have a passion and a desire to connect as family. And to see that demonstrated out with over 40 people here doing water balloon chaos, man, it just it melted my heart and it reaffirmed that we are on the right track. And so with that being said, let's turn to Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. This is what Paul writes. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind. One family, if you will. Maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death. On a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every other name. 
So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let us pray. Lord, I thank you that you humble yourself and you bore the sins that I couldn't bear, that we couldn't bear, that you were willing to step from your throne to earth to live that sinless life to die on that cross to be the propitiation for our sins that we could stand in right standing with God not because of who we are but because of who you are and what you have done and I thank you for raising from the dead on the third day lest our faith be bankrupt But our faith is full and complete when we look upon you. To God be the glory in Jesus Christ. As we hear the proclamation of the word, let us hear it with humility and recognizing that your word speaks with authority. And we must do well to study diligently to understand what you would have for our lives. Speak to us, Holy Spirit. Move us into a closer position to our Savior. Mm. In Jesus' beautiful name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Pastor Bruce, for reading that for us this morning. As it will be applicable as we go throughout the day. I'm going to dismiss our kids to go to their classes today. Open up a little bit of room to spread out if you want. I want to say thank you to our teachers who are heading that way with them. If you'd like to be a teacher or a helper, you'll see on the back of your bulletin, there's the opportunity to serve, and you can reach out to me, and we will follow up with you on that and in many other areas as well. Um, If you are sticking in here with us, I would love for you to grab out your Bibles today or your digital device and go to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, and today we're going to be in verses 22 through 24. Just three simple or maybe not so simple, verses. We're going to be diving into, and I want to share with you, what Chuck Swindoll, in his commentary on this passage, said to open it up, to open up as well. He said, Some sections of Scripture resemble minefields full of explosives rather than treasure chests full of truth. You find yourself reading through a powerful chapter like Ephesians 5, and suddenly you come across several topics They can ignite explosive responses. Husbands and wives in 22 through 33. Parents and children in 6, 1 through 4. And masters and slaves or employee, employer in 6, 5 through 9. When you read in light of progressive 21st century norms, some of the ideas in this section sound old-fashioned to some, quaint to others, and downright, downright ridiculous or even dangerous to a few. Welcome to Sunday morning. Welcome to Sunday morning and welcome to our passage for this morning. And I have three, maybe four words that we're going to be talking about today that will ignite passionate responses both inside the church and outside the church. Those four words are this, Bible, marriage, submission, and that fourth word, family. Bible, submission, marriage, and family. Kyle said it to me this week. As we were talking, he said, man, you are a brave man to tackle alcohol last week and to talk about wives submitting this week. And here's the deal. I told him this. I said, when you're going through a book, you go through a book. 
You, you don't get to skip and take out the things that might be hard or even might be controversial. You look at the cultural context and you look at the context of the writing as a whole and you dive into it. You don't just pluck a verse out here or pluck a verse out there that may fit what you want and take it out of context. You make sure you approach the scripture in a way that you let the word of God change you to be more like God versus the other way where oftentimes we take scripture out and try and twist it to make it more like us. We can't do that and we won't do that. And by the way, there's been a lot of times this week in the studies that I've gone through and commentaries that I've found, it actually said, well, I think this is what Paul was trying to say. No, we don't care what you think. We care what the Bible says. And so we will interpret what the Bible says in its context. And I truly believe it's incredibly important for us to see these passages and interpret these passages in the correct and biblical historical context. Because when we do that, the truth that is found in these scriptures are greater than our cultural thinking. They are greater than our personal preferences and they are greater than our human wisdom. Before diving into the passage, we do need to remember the context of where these verses are found. We've been in Ephesians since February, and really we've found that the letter to the Ephesians, as we've been going through, is, is two parts. And Paul is explaining and challenging and commanding his readers, including us, to live according to the changes that God has made in us when he saved us. That's his command. We are new creatures in Christ and we ought to live as such and quit living like the way we were before we got saved. The first half of the book is God saying, hey, we made you, I made you worthy. The second half is now telling us to walk worthy of the calling that we received. As a matter of fact, the first verses of that second half, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, say these words. Therefore, I, a prisoner in the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling that you have received. But the second verse is one I really want to highlight today because it really carries the tone for the rest of the letter, especially and when we talk about in the next couple of weeks, when it says, I want you to walk worthy with all humility and gentleness, with patience and bearing with one another in love. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Those words set the tone for the rest of the letter. When Paul says, be an imitator of God, it sets that tone. When he says, walk in love, walk in light, be careful to walk according to God's wisdom, not in the foolishness of the world. These are things that he's challenging. He says, make the most of your time. Make the most of every opportunity because we only have a short amount of time here. Make the most of it and follow the will of the Lord. His next command that we talked about last week was be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is to direct our lives, not us directing it ourselves. Basically, everything we do in this Christian life should be led by the Holy Spirit, and the fruit should be evident. The fruit we talked about last week from Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, but also including humility and gentleness and patience and love, all the things, again, we talked about last week. And that evidence of being filled with the Spirit and being filled in our hearts is to have that joy in our hearts and song on our lips as we praise God. Man, that song, Gratitude. I don't have much to offer a king. This is it. Just a simple hallelujah, but that's enough to say thank you. But the last thing we talked about last week was a big one. The evidence of the Holy Spirit is when we see mutual submission to one another. Mutual submission to one another. Please understand this because it is the foundation of what we talk about for the next couple of weeks. The action of submission 
the act of submission flows from being filled with the Holy Spirit. That is how we submit. Because we will not do it on our own. We cannot do it on our own. And by the way, everything that that we look at today, it needs to be filtered through a Spirit-filled lens. Because we can't, again, muster it up and try with our response to be like, I'll, I'll do my best. We have to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to tell you something else. The world's not going to like the commands that Paul is throwing down here that we look at over the next couple of weeks. As a matter of fact, I don't think, to stretch to say, the world hates what Paul has to say here. The world hates what Paul has to say here. And I'm not saying anything new when I point and say these words. We're witnessing the death of marriage and family in our culture right now. And the result is evident in all areas of society. I was just talking with Aaron this morning about things that he deals with as a counselor at school. You don't think that has the, the effect of, of the marriage and family being destroyed carries into the schools, carries into workplaces, carries into you name it. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. It's affecting all of society. The overextended preoccupation with selfish desires and personal agendas that the world champions and the world celebrates have led to a vicious downward spiral that we see in our country and in our world even today. And I'm not saying anything that is political here. I'm not saying anything that is cultural here beyond what it is, but it goes way further than that because it's actually a spiritual problem. It is a spiritual problem that only Jesus can fix. And you know what? He's doing it. He's doing it because he has a body that is here on earth called the church. We are called to do his work. How do we accomplish doing his work? How do we accomplish seeing our world change? Well, guess what? It's not our own power. It's about being spirit-filled. And a general, a general characteristic of a spirit-filled person is, you know what? Submission. It's submission. Submission to Christ and submission to one another. Go to what Pastor Bruce read there at the, in Philippians chapter 2. What a powerful statement when Paul says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but consider others more important than yourself. Whoo! Not doing that on my own. I'm going to need the Spirit to make that happen. As a matter of fact, that's what he says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, how we wrapped up last week. We saw that whole idea of submit to one another in fear of Christ. The evidence that we see is a submission in place. Evidence we also will see in that relationship, not only to Christ, not only to one another, but also within the confines of the family. That is how the family will heal. And a man and woman, they cannot create the kind of marriage that God designed for them unless they're filled with the Holy Spirit. Which leads us to a great question for today. To at least get us started off, because I've got lots of questions for you, just to give you that heads up. What is God's design for marriage? We've heard the world's design. What is God's design for marriage? We have to understand this before we can understand the roles that God has given to men and women within the marriage. So I want you to drop down. I told you we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through uh, 24. But let's look at verses 31 and 32 real quick because it's kind of the summary of it all. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This Mystery is profound, but I am talking about Christ and the church. Verse 31 is a quote from Genesis 2, 24 that we'll read here in a few minutes, where God brings Adam and Eve together and institutes the first marriage. 
Verse 32 is the explanation of it. It's the explanation of it. Marriage is not so much about the individuals who are getting married, but it is about the glory of God. Your marriage is to be the picture of Christ and His relationship to the church. That's what Paul even says here. Your marriage is to bring glory to God. And two people that are willing to follow God's design, two people that are willing to follow God's design for marriage will have a better relationship because it's always going to be better when we side with God's ways. It's always going to be. And when we bring glory to His name, your marriage, it's still going to take a lot of work. It's still going to have hard times. But God will use you in each other's lives to mold you into what He wants you to be. Back in Genesis 22, or sorry, back in Genesis 2, we find that Adam and Eve are in that great relationship. Let me read for you, and would you mind following along? It says, Then God, the Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper, and you can underline that part, a helper corresponding to him. The Lord God formed out of the ground every wild animal and every bird of the sky and brought each to the man to see what he would call it. And whatever the man called the living creature, that was its name. The man gave name to all the livestock and the birds of the sky and every wild animal. But for the man, there was no helper found corresponding to him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to come over the man, and he slept. God took one of his ribs, closed the flesh at that place, and then the Lord God made the rib that had been taken from the man into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, Whoa, this one at last is a bone of my bone and the flesh of my flesh, and this one will be called Whoa Man. And she was taken from the man. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife, and they become one flesh. Both man and wife were naked, and they felt no shame. In this passage, God sets Adam to recognize two things. First is this, he recognized his lack of companionship. And second, he sees his need for someone who would be his complement or his corresponding thing, person with him. Then God makes Eve out of Adam's rib. The significant part of this is that we see that neither are independent from the other, but especially the wife independent from the husband. Paul actually makes a comment on this in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 11, 8, 9 says this, For man did not come from woman, but woman came from man. Neither was a man created for the sake of woman, but woman for the sake of man. That is a tough passage to even read. I will guarantee there are people that are like, What? Paul is a male chauvinist pig. How could you possibly say that? But let me tell you something about Paul. And let me tell you something about culture. Because the culture that Paul was in, women were property. Women were pretty much worthless. They were secondary citizens. Paul at this point is elevating and pointing back to creation. He's not talking about chauvinism. He's talking about creationism. And he says that from the very beginning, God has made it clear of the roles that have been given. Paul didn't compromise the truth, and neither should we. And guess what? If we have a problem with that, because that is a tough statement again, but if you have a problem with that, then really you have a twofold problem. One, you're in rebellion against what God says and what God has designed. And second, you fail to understand the incredible importance of the role that God has given women. Eve had no problem with the role that God gave her. Do you know that? Until sin entered. Until sin entered, when a curse began came and fell upon her and Adam. Prior to the fall into sin, Adam and Eve were completely open with each other. I use the word naked. Maybe you say naked. 
Whatever one it is, it's more than just not having your clothes on, by the way. And what he's saying here is without impediment or without hindrance. And it means, basically, there is nothing in the way, including sin. There is nothing in the way. Adam and Eve were not selfish. They were not sinful, and they were not willfully going after their own desires. They were willfully serving each other in the roles that God had given them. But sin entered the picture. And so did a curse. Genesis chapter 3, verse 14, God places a curse on the serpent, the man, and the woman. But if you look at the part of the curse that's found at the end of 16, the part that is for the woman, it says this, and it's really our subject for this morning. Your desire will be for your husband, yet he will rule over you. And now there is some controversy depending upon which commentary you look at for the exact word for the word desire here, but there are many to believe it's the wanting to actually rule over her husband because of the contrast of verse when it says your husband's going to rule over you. Rather than complementing each other like God originally had designed, they were now in competition. And we still see this today. My desires versus your desires. My desires versus your desires. And when those desires conflict with each other, well, guess what? We have a power struggle. And when that power struggle happens, we generally have I loved how Pastor Bruce said it. Chaos. Water balloon chaos. Let me just tell you something. God is not a God of chaos. God is a God of order. Chaos is the enemy, just like in the TV show Get Smart. If you ever want to know who the enemy is, it's chaos. God is not a God of chaos and disorder. As a matter of fact, Paul tells the church at Corinth in the letter, his first letter to them in 1 Corinthians, because they were a church of chaos and they were a church that was completely out of order. He says this in verse 33 of chapter 14, God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. Without someone in a leadership role, there is chaos. The Proverbs tell us, without a vision, the people perish, right? Where does a vision come from? It comes from the leadership. So when there is no vision and the people are perishing, same is true for a family. If there is no roles and no headship, no leadership, there will be chaos, and we see it even still today. When everyone's going their own way, their marriage perish. God designed marriage to go against the curse of sin. His design goes against the curse of sin. Marriage follows a divine model and moves both husband and wife back into their proper roles where they complement each other rather than conflict with each other. Remember what we said, submission to each other. Verse 21 last week, submitting to one another in fear of Christ. This is the key for all relationships. All relationships that occur within the family, and today we're going to talk about its specific importance to the wife. And by the way, husbands, you're not off the hook because next week we're going to hound all over you, okay? Okay? Because actually our job's harder. Just going to be honest. Probably because I have to do it, but that's the reason, that's the thing. The verb here, as it talks about submitting, it means to place yourself under another through the surrender of your will and the surrender of your rights to that of another. That is what submission means. The call to Christians is to submit to one another. We are to voluntarily and willingly place our rights and place our will in subjection to others, to fellow believers because of our reverence for Christ. What should the Christian community be known for? It shouldn't be known for pride and arrogance, but instead it should be known for their idea of relationship because of Christ brings humility and courtesy as each seeks the best interest for the other believers that they know and to also serve them. I'm not supposed to be self-centered. 
supposed to be God-centered. And regarding you as more important than myself. I mean, that is what Philippians 2, 3 said. All believers should be like this with, another, with one another, but this becomes especially true when it's the role of God or the role that God entrusted to each of us, especially the wife within the marriage. So let's look at our passage for today. That was a long introduction to set up. Here we go. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, because the husband is the head of the wife as, ch- as Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of the body. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives are to submit their husbands in everything. In this passage, Paul begins with wives, so we will too. But again, husbands, be ready. We're next week. While many suggest they might struggle with the idea of wives submitting, I want to emphasize this point and probably, again, the foundation. We've already said the whole of our Christian life, whether you're male or female, is about submission. And we will see soon enough the wife is actually called to submit to a husband who is a pretty big responsibility himself, willing to die for her. The husband should be the first to apologize, forgive, and to serve. And he serves as an example of Jesus to his bride. Again, go back to Philippians chapter 2. You want a high bar set? It's right there. The whole thing listed out. In the book God, Marriage, and Family, it says this. While some may view submitting to one's husband's authority as something negative, a more accurate way of looking at marital roles is to understand that wives are called to follow their husband's loving leadership. Now we see a picture of the husband and wife having equal value, yet having different roles within the marriage. The same thing last week when we talked about submitting to the Spirit. Remember that illustration we use? It's a dance. It's a slow dance. One person leads, one person follows. One person initiates, one person responds. But both are necessary for a quality dance to happen. If you're the lead partner and you're just dragging somebody around, it's not going to be great. And if you're the follower, you're like, where are we going? It's not going to be great. It's a picture that we need to see happen. When we both fulfill our roles well, it is a beautiful thing to behold. Another thing we need to consider, whenever we have trouble with God's word, we remember that God is infinitely wise and infinitely good, and we are not. And he says... This is good. And this is the best possible plan. When the question of did God really say comes up, we have to remember who asked that question first. Going back to the book of Genesis. Many things in God's word may cause us to react negatively, but always consider the nature of our God who is giving these commands. Also, when you think about God's design for marriage, this is something else we need to think about. It's roles. We have to remember that it's rooted in creation. John Stott actually says, and I've already mentioned this, it's not chauvinism, but creationism. Paul does not have an agenda against women. He is elevating them just as Christ elevated them. Because culture gave no, no value to them. But what does Paul say? In him there is no male or female, Jew or Greek, saying we are equal in God's eyes. That was completely upside down thinking in that time. Paul then gives instruction. What does Paul say? Paul says, the wife must revere Christ through proper submission and to respect her husband. Simply put, the role of the wife is submission and respect. We're going to talk about respect first because it's easier. The better word for this is fear. We talked about it last week in verse 21. Remember, it doesn't mean terror, but to be in awe of. Why did Paul use this term? I'd love to answer that question, but I'm not 100% sure. But on a practical level, This is what we know. 
Husbands need their wives' respect. Stereotypically, women desire love and men desire respect. As a matter of fact, I think there's a book called that, Love and Respect. It talks about the marriage part of it all. Within a biblical marriage, the wife should see the responsibilities of her husband and should respect him, love him, pray for him, and respect his needs. Now, I believe that many women don't understand the importance of their influence over their husbands. I believe this. In saying that behind every great man is a great woman, it's not a cliche. It is a general truth. Remember that one of your roles, ladies, is to be a helpmate, a helper. His companion that would help him to succeed in life. And I use that word succeed not in a worldly form of success, but in a godly form of success. For all the machismo that men have, I'm going to say something that it might come back to bite me. Men are generally fearful and insecure. And a man may never admit it, but most want and need someone to believe in them. They need encouragement. They need to be pushed to succeed. And God has given that primary role to his wife. Ideally, if you treat him with respect, he'll run through a wall for you. He will take on the world for you. But if you belittle him, you'll either lose him or you will watch him shrivel up into a shell of what he was supposed to be and created to be. You might even say, well, there's not much about my man that I can respect. Let me show you in Scripture where it says that matters. Oh, it doesn't. As a matter of fact, Scripture doesn't say he needs to be perfect for you to respect him. What you can do is you can start in the areas where you can find that respect and let it grow and let him grow in it. The next word is submit. And that creates a bit more discussion, we'll call it. It's a bit more discussion, but it's not the only place that Paul mentions submission. It's noted in the context of marriage uh, in Colossians 3.18, 1 Peter 3.1, 1 Timothy 2.11-13, and Titus 2.4-5, all verses that we'll touch on as we continue on. And you might see in your Bible, I don't know what version of the Bible, what translation of the Bible that you have, but you might see the word subject or submit is actually in italics. And the reason for that is the word is not actually found in that particular verse of the text. Because if it were translated exactly the way it was written, it wouldn't make any sense in English because Paul didn't write in verses and Paul didn't write in English. I know that comes as a shock to some. Um, I heard one person actually tell me that the KJV, if it was good enough for Paul, it's good enough for them. I'm like, what? But... I, I'm not, I wish I were joking when I say that out loud. He, he wrote in the, in the Greek, and, and as we see it, if you were to actually see the way he wrote it, verses 21, because that verb is there, it carries into verse 22. If it were translated literally, it'd say, being submissive to one another in fear of Christ, the wives to their own husbands as to the Lord. So that's where the flow comes from. The idea of the wife submitting herself to her husband flows out of the command of us submitting to the Lord, our reverence for the Lord. We've already said it, but the ability of a woman to do what Paul describes here is dependent on their relationship with God and being filled with the Spirit. This cannot happen if you are not filled without the, with the Spirit. Now, there are cultures that are out there that women submit to the men, but it is not out of love. It is out of fear. They are fearing losing their position. They are fearing 
um, their role, their fear in losing their children. There's so many different things. Paul's not calling it out of fear. Again, it's out of awe and respect. The submission called for here is based on love for Christ that is then extended to, hus- to the husband willingly. I also want to note that Paul does not say every woman needs to submit to every man. This is a husband and wife thing here. The husband is the head of the wife and not all women. Also notice this. The submission is a voluntary submission. This is a happy relationship. Christian wives freely and responsibly follow a loving husband who is lovingly leading and faithful, not some tyrant. Here's one other thing we want to put in there. We cannot follow the wrong teachings. We have to reject the wrong views and abuse of this passage. Let's be clear here. Scripture is not talking about something similar to slavery. It is not talking about something to to subordination or a top-down chain of command where the subject obeys without question. And, again, if you're reading this and read ahead a little bit because you're like, I've got to see what the men have to do. Why are women called to submit and husbands called to love? Why not call the wives to love? Well, I'm going to quote John Stott again. He says, The wife's submission is but another aspect of love. What does it mean to submit? It's to give oneself up to somebody. What does it mean to love? The biblical definition is to give oneself up for somebody. To submit is to put the will of others before your own. To love is to put the needs of others ahead of your own. Going back to Titus that I said was one of the things, Paul actually mentions both actions to the wives. He says, So there may be encouragement to the young women to love their husbands and to love their children, to be self-controlled, pure homemakers, kind, and submissive to their husbands. Paul says that our reason, our motive for having a godly, loving submission is to do it to the Lord. As to the Lord at the end of verse 22. Wives submit to their husbands because they want to glorify Christ. That's it. The godly wife sees this duty as part of her Christian discipleship. The motive is not to fill some, some cultural expectation or some societal role. The motive behind it is a love for Christ and to be, uh, our desire to be conformed to His image. So here's two other questions that we need to tackle really fast, even within the instruction part of it all. What does it mean to submit in everything? That's where abuse comes in, when we misinterpret that. It means to submit in every area of life, but it does not mean to follow Him in sin because, get this, we submit to the Lord first in His commands. And then we follow suit from there. And Christy asked me this question last night. So I threw it in because it wasn't in here to begin with. As I was practicing with her, she couldn't be here this morning. Levi got sick and, and she's like, I really wanted to be there this morning for this one. But she asked me this question. She said, well, what if the husband isn't leading well and loving the wife as Christ loves the church? And I was like, is that directed at me? <laughs> just just got to find out real quick on that one. What if he isn't doing his part of the dance? What if he isn't a Christian and therefore not spirit-filled? The best answer I can give is from the Apostle Peter. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, it says this. In the same way, Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that even if some disobey the word, they may be won over without a word by the way their wives live and the way they observe your pure and reverent lives. 
It's a tough answer. But your life can change theirs. God can use you to change them. The second thing I say is just pray for your husband. Pray that he takes the lead and he leads well. Only God can change a heart. Only God can direct. Only the Spirit can cause us to do what we're being called to do. Then Paul gives the illustration on why. Paul speaks of marriages as a picture of Christ's love for the church in verses 23 and 24, and then it carries into 25 through 32. Paul shows us that marriage, is, it displays the gospel. The Old Testament also illustrates God's love for his people with marriage, but in this text, you see Christ and you see the church specifically. In verse 32, Paul uses this word, the mystery is profound. You know what that means? It's awesome. This whole marriage thing, the way God designed it, is awesome. God had Christ and church in mind when he created everything. I want you to think about three applications of this illustration. First is this. It illustrates the ultimate picture of marriage. Wives give a picture of the church to the world. Husbands give a picture of Christ to the world. Christ is the head, as Paul said back in Ephesians 1.22. But look at what kind of head he is. This is for those of you who have already read ahead and peeked into the next chapter and considered the five actions that he did. First, he loved the church. He gave himself up for her. He sanctified her. He cleansed her. He presented her, and he provides and cares for her. These are the things that we see as we read ahead. This is the picture of marriage that that God is giving us in the illustration. The second thing is, the illustration gives us the ultimate purpose of marriage. The ultimate purpose, namely the glory of Christ. I've already said that once, but I'll say it again. Everything in this passage says, as to the Lord. Verse 25 says, as Christ loved the church. Verse 29 says, as Christ does for the church. Everything comes back to Christ. While it's important for couples to work through communication problems, financial problems, personality issues, the past, other issues. Please remember, please remember that the ultimate issue in marriage is this. Are you surrendered to the Lordship of Christ? That is the ultimate. Will you submit to Him in all areas of life? Because if your marriage starts with me, I think it's uh, Brian Regan that has the me monster skit. If it's all about me, then you're starting the wrong place. Marriage exists for Christ's glory. Let your marriage be an offering of worship as you love each other, as you forgive each other, as you serve each other. Let your relationship serve as an aroma of Christ before a watching world because I'll guarantee they are watching. Third thing is this. The illustration gives us an amazing hope for marriage. Christ died for the church, which displays the church's sinfulness and His saving grace. The biggest problem in marriage is, you know what? Sin. The ultimate solution is the God of grace. The grace of Jesus Christ. Because marriage is not merely some social thing, which tends to be the definition of the world. It's actually rooted in the Lordship of Christ, who is gracious. We we have a hope. We have a hope for our marriage. Where do you turn to when your marriage is difficult? I found that the world turns to alcohol, me time, overworking, pornography. The list goes on. Those aren't the things we turn to. When our marriage is struggling, you know who we turn to? Christ. We turn to Christ. Marriage is intent to point us back to our Redeemer. To close, I have one more whopper of a question. 
Not that all the other ones weren't already tough, but this one's just another tough one and a tough one to answer. What is one of the major reasons that women struggle in submitting and respecting to their husbands? And there's lots of them, I'm sure. I think this passage, though, tells us the hard truth is because their own walk with the Lord is lacking and they're not filled with the Spirit. The result is selfishness and pride and therefore resentment of being called to submission. But that's all of us. That's why that constant of Ephesians chapter 5.21 that we need to submit to each other as to Christ. If you fulfill your God-given role as a wife and if you fulfill your God-given role as a husband, if you fulfill your God-given role even as a single, as a child, as an adult, if you are fulfilling your God-given role, you must be in submission to the Holy Spirit first. That's the only way to make it happen. You'll see your life the way that God sees it and you'll learn to value what He does. We place too much importance on what we think is important rather than on what God knows is important. It's completely up to us to willingly give ourselves to Christ and submit. But we need to be filled with the Spirit in this process. It's completely up to God where He puts us in a position, what gifts He gives us, how powerful those gifts are, but our response is humble service to Him. Faithfulness in Him is our success. The importance of the position that God has given women is incredible and should never be underestimated by either men or women. So please don't ever do that. Don't be jealous of people, including your husband. Focus on what God has done in your life and where He's leading you in your life. Submit to God. Fulfill your role and watch God at work in your life and it will also change the lives of those around you, especially your husbands. And husbands, I will close with this. Love your wife as Christ loved the church. But we'll get into more of that next week. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for who you are, and thank you for your word, and the way you continue to teach us and guide us and direct us. God, this one was a hard one. It was hard for me to say. It was probably harder for others to hear. But God, we know that in your goodness, in your graciousness, in your love, you have the perfect plan and you have it for a reason. God, as you continue to speak to us, as you continue to guide us, as you continue to direct us, help us to be more like you. Help us to fall in submission to what you would call us to do. God, we want to give you all the glory because we know we can't do it on our own. Thank you for the husbands and wives in here that are practicing this, that that are seeing this play itself out and showing the glory and grace that you have between Christ and the church. And for those who may be struggling, God, I pray you just give them an extra ounce of grace even today and continue to drive them towards what you would have us to be, to to, to properly demonstrate your love for us. We pray in your name, Lord. Amen.